Psalm 102 is a lament over pain. A lament over pain. So what we see in this psalm is that our writer, the psalmist, is a man in pain. He notes that his days are slipping by. His bones are aching. His heart is hurting. He has no appetite. He's just wasting away. And amid his pain, he cries out to God with this lament. Now, believer, how many of you, how many of us struggle with pain? How do we deal with it? Do we live in denial? Do we attempt to rationalize it? Now, common sense would attempt to diagnose it, treat it, even alleviate it. Nevertheless, too often we never cry out to God in our pain. And so Psalm 102 provides us with an example of how to cry out to God in lament over pain. Now, in verses 1 through 11, we have annoyance. And then in verses 12 to 28, we have alleviation. So let's begin with verses 1 through 11, the annoyance. And we're going to break down verses 1 through 11 in several parts. Part 1, prayer, verses 1 and 2. Part 2, plaint, verses 3 to 5. Part 3, predicament, verses 6 to 7. And part 4, persecution, verses 8 through 11. So let's begin with the prayer in verses 1 and 2. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ears to me in the day when I call. Answer me quickly. Notice how the psalmist begins. Hear my prayer, O Yahweh. Yahweh, I need your attention. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble, my distress. Now, we know that God turns his face from us in his anger. And so, perhaps the psalmist, as he laments his pain, as he considers why he is uh, feeling what he's feeling, that perhaps God is angry with him. Perhaps God has turned his face from him. And, friend, that is a legitimate place to begin. Certainly, and that is not to say that every pain we have in life is because of sin. We, we have pain because we live in a sin-cursed world. Uh, pain is part of uh, the curse of death. But there are times in life when there are pains that are directly caused by sin in our life. And so it would behoove us to pray to God, Lord, Yahweh, I'm praying to you. Don't hide your face from me. I, listen, if I'm in this pain because you're angry with me, Father, turn your face back to me. Don't keep ignoring me. And so, please hear me. Incline your ear. Turn your ear to me. Bend your head down so you can listen. And look, I, want, I need a quick response. I'm in such pain. Answer me speedily. So, this, this request is obviously very labored because we have a sense here that the psalmist is, just can't take it anymore. He needs relief and he needs the relief now. Not later. Now. But we also get a sense of God's distance, that the psalmist feels that God is distant from him. He's in crisis, and so he's crying out in prayer. Let's continue the annoyance with his plaint in verses 3 to 5. For my days have been consumed in smoke, and my bones have been scorched like a hearth. My heart has been smitten like grass and has withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread." Because of the loudness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. Now, his condition here is critical. My days are consumed like smoke. Okay, In other words, I am in such severe pain. 
that my days have no substance. I, I, I can get nothing done. I'm literally being consumed in this fire. I'm burning up. My bones are scorched. Now, this is a poetic description of the fever that he is uh, dealing with. Um, his heart is smitten and withered like grass. Uh, now, the word heart here it doesn't refer to the vessel pumping in his chest, but more so it means that his self, he's, uh, he's withering away. Okay, his, his entire being is just uh, broken. He goes on to say that uh, I'm dried up inside. I have a loss of appetite. I, I, I don't even want to eat bread. I've got, he's got significant weight loss. Because of the sound of my groaning, my bones cling to my skin. You know, we get an idea of how much weight this man has lost because of this severe pain he is in. Now that brings us to verse 6 to 7 and his predicament. I resemble a pelican of the wilderness. I become like an owl of the waste place. I lie awake. I have become like a lonely bird on a housetop. Boy, what, what poetic description of distress. I'm like a pelican in the wilderness. Now, pelicans are coastal birds. So the fact that a pelican is in the wilderness is more or less saying, you know, I feel like a fish out of water. Okay. I'm like an owl in the desert. Now, owls were unclean, according to Leviticus eleven seventeen, And therefore, the fact that you have this unclean animal out in the wilderness gets this picture that he is feeling lonely and rejected. And he says, I'm lying awake which tells us that he's not getting any sleep, like a sparrow sitting alone on the housetop. And then verse 8 to 11, his persecution. My enemies have reproached me all day long. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse, for I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping because of your indignation and your wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a lengthened shadow, and I wither away like grass." Now, here in these verses, he's turning away from his physical state, his emotional state, and he's getting down to the cause of his pain. There's two things causing his pain. Now, again, the physical pain and emotional pain he's already outlined, but he's getting to the heart of it. You know what causes me more pain? Is the mental state that I'm in because of God's wrath and because of my enemies. I'm hounded by my foes all day long, continually. They're cursing me. And I'm eating ash like bread. Now the ashes, this is a picture of grief and loss. He's weeping. He, it, weeping so much that as he tries to drink a, a cup of water, his tears are flowing and filling his cup of water. And why? What's, why is it, what's the cause of his torment? God's wrath. God's indignation. You've lifted me up and cast me away. I've been excommunicated, God. I've been thrown out of your presence. I'm at the sunset of my life. I'm about to slip into eternal night. The heat of God's wrath is sucking me dry. Now what we have here is a theology of pain. And we haven't completely developed a theology of pain, but one thing we note here in a theology of pain is that sin brings divine wrath, and that divine wrath causes us pain. Sickness can be a result of God's wrath. Again, not every sickness is a result of God's wrath. 
And you and I do not have the luxury to sit down and look at someone and say, oh, well, they're going through this because they must have some sin in their life. Okay? Examine your own self. Okay? Examine your own self. Now, certainly, if we see somebody, you know, who uh, is in living in out-and-out gross sin of immorality and, uh, you know, ends up in some sickness caused by that immorality, okay, then we have a case of where we could sit back and say, yes, okay, the, uh, the, the sickness that he is suffering from is a direct result of the sin he's involved in. But more often than not, uh, we do not know why people are going through the pain. Sometimes we don't even know that people are going through pain. Uh, but nonetheless, it's not up to you and I to be the judge, jury, and executioner of why, and try to figure out why every person is going through some sickness or whatnot. You know, the best thing we can do is pray for them. Sometimes God brings sickness into our life and pain into our life, not to uh, chasten us in the sense because we have sinned, but to teach us. All right, remember, uh, chastening is all about teaching and instruction. Now let's move on to the alleviation in verses 12 to 28. The alleviation. Notice the uh, several parts of this, verses uh, 12 to 15, part 1, regard. Verses 16 to 18, part 2, restoration. Verse 19 to 24, part 3, recovery. And then verse 25 to 28, part 4, reassurance. Let's look at the four parts of the alleviation. Verse 12 to 15, But you, O Lord, abide forever, and your name to all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to be gracious to her. For the appointed time has come. Surely your servants find pleasure in her stones and feel pity for her dust. So the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. Now here, as we work towards alleviation of pain, we see the psalmist regarding God. So we call verses 12 to 15 regard. Now the issue here in verses 12 to 15 is not whether we have pain. We're going to have pain. The issue is what do we do with pain? Do we ignore it? Do we try to alleviate it? Do we cry out to God in the midst of it? And so for the psalmist, pain becomes redemptive. Now again, we're developing a theology of pain. Pain is redemptive. Notice here, he's not put off by God's wrath. Notice, but you, O Lord, abide forever. Listen, he owns, yes, I know I'm in pain because of God's wrath. And I brought that on myself. Okay, Pain should not make us look at God and say, you're unfair, you're unjust. Listen, if our pain is because of our sin and that's God's wrath upon us, then we need to cry out to the Lord for mercy. And if pain is in our life, not because of God's wrath, but for some other reason, we need to cry out and say, Lord, teach me. But either way, we still can pray for relief and alleviation. But you... O Lord. He considers God. He hasn't turned his back on God. And first of all, he considers the eternality of God. You abide forever. Time passes, people passes, but you remain. You're the Alpha and Omega. You're the beginning and the end. You're the one who is and was and is to come, as Revelation 1.8 confesses. And because God endures forever, all future generations are going to remember your name. Yahweh will arise. He'll literally stand up from his throne and go into action and have compassion, mercy on Zion, on Jerusalem. The time has come for God to be gracious to her. 
God shows his mercy to Jerusalem by showing favor and restoring her so that the nations will once again fear, reverence his name, and the kings of earth will see his glory. That is, they will give praise to God. And so he's looking at the restoration of Jerusalem, and he's personifying that, Lord, just as you're going to restore Jerusalem, restore me, restore my health. Now, speaking of restoration, verses 16 to 18. For the Lord has built up Zion. He has appeared in his glory. He has regarded the prayer of the destitute and not despised their prayer. This will be written for the generation to come that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Notice the conclusion he comes to. The Lord will build up Zion. He will appear in his glory. Israel's return will display God's heaviness, his glory. And again, we've, we've talked about the fact that that heaviness pictures a warrior returning from battle, carrying way down under the spoils that he brings back from, from battle. And again, that's what's going to happen when God restores Israel. He restores Jerusalem, his glory. His, he's going to be a warrior coming from battle, and he's going to be bearing all these spoils of victory. He's going to regard the prayer of the destitute. That's those praying for return from exile. And he's not going to despise their prayer. He's going to incline his ear. He's going to bend his head. He's going to listen, and he's going to act. And what God does will be remembered by future generations. It will be written. It will be recorded for the generations to come. Why? So that God may be praised. You know, perhaps this is a reference to Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. But nonetheless, as we pray and as God interacts, uh, we need to praise him. We need to testify what God is doing in our life. We're so quick uh, with this prayer request and that prayer request. And again, we're told to bring our petitions to the Lord. But yet when it comes time to praise him, it's like crickets. We're silent. There's nothing to say. If God has restored you, you've got something to praise him for. Now, notice the recovery in verses 19 to 24. For he looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord gazed upon the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to death, that men may tell of the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. When the peoples are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord, he has weakened my strength in the way. He has shortened my days, I say. Oh, my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. First of all, notice what God does. He looks down from heaven and he views the earth. And then notice the next thing. As he looks, he hears the groaning of the prisoner. That's the captive in exile. Again, this psalm could be being written during the period of exile. And so uh, he looks down. Why? So that he can intervene, so that he can free those doomed to death. And then as a result, his name is going to be declared. He's going to be praised throughout all Jerusalem. He's going to bring his people home. He's going to restore his name, his presence, his authority, and they're going to worship him. Now, there's certainly an eschatological note in this as we look forward to that day when God does restore Israel to her complete glory. As a result of God's action, the peoples, the, every tribe, every tongue, uh, every ethnicity, all the kingdoms, all the authorities in the world will gather together to serve and minister to the Lord. That's going to happen in the millennial kingdom. As Isaiah 2 and verse 2 says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountains of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations will flow to it. Now again in verse 23, the psalmist restates his condition. 
And by the way, have you noticed something interesting here? That as he's going through his own personal pain, he's also lamenting the pain of his nation and what they're dealing with. And you know, it's very interesting that he's not so focused on himself that he has forgotten everyone else. And perhaps when we're going through pain and praying in our own pain, we would, be, we would, we would remember as well others who are going through similar pain. So he says, I'm weakened. I've been afflicted. I've been humbled. Um, my days have been shortened. I've been struck down. Death is pressing in on me. My days are short. But I said, oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Don't cut my life short. Lord, I'm up against death. Spare me. You know, sometimes simple short prayers are the best. And that's what we have here. God, don't let me go. Spare me, Lord, please. And that brings us to verse 25 to 28, the reassurance. Of old you founded the earth, the heavens are the works of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. And all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing you will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same. Your years will not come to an end. The children of your servants will continue and their descendants will be established before you. Here the psalmist cries out in his mortality, but he thinks of God's eternality. Notice, uh, in pain, he's not only focused on himself, he's focused on others, but he's still focused on God, on God's eternality. God, he who created the world. He's not only the eternal God, he's the creator God. You laid the foundation of the earth or the work of your hand. And yet we know that because of sin, the earth and the heavens are passing. They're groaning as well. They're in pain. Though they will perish, you will endure. Of course, we know from Second uh, Peter 3.10, again, when the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works in it will be burned up. Nevertheless, Second Peter 3.13, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Just as the earth today and the universe is groaning under the result, under the curse of sin, and will one day be burned up and melt away, pass away, it will be renewed. There will be a renewed heaven and earth. And just like that, you and I who are suffering in pain and who will one day pass away, know that this earthly body is not our final form. We know that there is coming a day in which this corruptible body will put on an incorruptible body, when this mortality will be immortality, and we will be free from pain for all eternity. And so... What have we learned? Well, number one, we learn to pray in pain. Second, we learn to be honest before God in our lament. Be honest with God. And third, meditate upon God's eternal nature. Meditate on God's eternal nature. Fourth, ask God's wrath to be lifted and life restored. Again, let me go through those four things that we have learned again. Number one, we learn to pray. Number two, be honest with God in your, our lament. Number three, meditate on God's eternal nature and mercy. And number four, ask God's wrath to be lifted and life restored. So two questions for you to consider as we close. Does your pain draw you closer to God or drive you away from God? And question number two, if your pain brings you to God, what have you learned from him. Let's pray. Infinite God, creator of the universe, merciful one, we come to you because of the grace that we have received through Jesus Christ. Because of him, we can come boldly before your throne of grace. And Father, we lift you up.
before all others. We lift you up, Father, as the God of mercy. We lift you up as the God of wrath. Father, your mercy and your wrath are two sides of the same coin. On one hand, you are a God of wrath, but at the same time, you're merciful. And your mercy and your wrath are ever in balance, balanced by your holiness. Father, we confess that we go through times of pain, we go through suffering, that, Lord, we don't pray as we ought. That, Father, we often grumble and complain. That, Lord God, we often go through it and we, we think we're all alone and woe is me. And, Father, these are all natural things because of our fallen condition. Yet, Father, I would ask and pray that you would help us in the midst of our pain to pray. That, Father, in the midst of our pain, we would be honest with you. That, Father, we would meditate on your eternal nature and on your mercy. And that, Father, you might lift your wrath. If it's a call, it's because of your wrath, lift it from us. But irregardless, Father, restore life. Restore health to us. And so, Father, we thank and praise you for pain. Yes, that is odd. Yes, Lord, that goes against our, the very grain of our nature to thank you for pain. But if, if in going through pain we get a little better picture of who you are, if going through pain allows us to experience a little bit more of your mercy, then, Father, we thank you for it. Nonetheless, Lord, we ask... When we have learned what we need to learn, remove it from us. Restore us to the vitality of health. And Lord, whether in pain or in health, may we praise you and magnify you forever. We pray, Lord, these things and say, Amen.